broadcasting from an undisclosed location. From a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. Welcome back to another week of The Hunting Show. I'm your host, Stephen Spargo, and we're coming to you from somewhere deep in Whanganui, and I've got a bunch of guys with us, and we've got an an awesome day planned. And I think it's probably the first thing to do is introduce you to our our main guest this week, and that's uh, Peter Bridal. Peter, how are you, man? Good, thanks, mate. Yep. Okay, first of all, I want to know a little bit about you. Um, So tell us a little bit of your background, Peter. Um, Yeah, I've got a... Very long, varied background. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of a half an hour question in itself. But uh, yeah, I've been guiding for probably about six years all up. Uh, I've probably guided around about 500 clients, uh, many of them here on this property we're on today. Um, mainly do fallow deer. It's sort of my uh, my favourite animal to hunt. Um, other than that, a uh, bit of time in the military, a uh, bit of time doing some um, contracting overseas, and yeah, sort of jack of all trades, master of none. But uh, hunting is it's my life. I, I just I live for it. So, and and we've also got Mark, other Mark. We've got two Marks here. So, Mark, if you just want to stand up over here, tell us first of all a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, Mark Thomas. I um, I've been in the army for a little while. Um, Territorial forces. Other than that, I've sort of tried my hand at a bunch of random stuff. I've been a mechanic for a while, and I've been an electrician for a while. But uh, right now, I'm back at uni studying engineering, and in my spare time, I like to come up and. Hunt with Mr. Bridal here. Mr. Bridal. <laughs> and, uh, and then last but not least, we've got uh, well, someone who's becoming a bit of a regular on the show. We've got Mark Clinch, one of our hunting show hunting guides. And, and Mark, it was, a, it was a cold night, man, eh? Yeah, I was, uh, heard from the outer world that it was one of the coldest recorded in New Zealand for, for a long time. And, uh, and, and we, but we were warm, Stony Creek sleeping bag, and we woke up this morning, and the jet boils were going nuts. We all had a decent cuppa. In fact, Peter's just hooking into his first one now. But I suppose what some of the most important things that we're going to go over with this show, uh, well, one of the most important things is herd management, because that's what we're here to, to do and help Peter out with that. Peter, I need, to, I need to get my head around this a little bit more. So can you tell us, first of all, what is herd management and why is it important? Wow. You know, you just straight into me there with that one. Um, look, the thing about managing a herd is it's, well, you know, you want quality animals. You want healthy animals. You want animals that, that are producing good quality heads. And quite simply, if you have rubbish animals running around breeding, you get more rubbish animals. We also have a lot of animals coming in from outside the farm. It's, there's no deer fences at all. Uh, we do have small deer fence pens down the bottom where we keep some of our breeding stock but every animal on the property is free range. So they can come and go as they please, and we have a lot of animals jumping in from, from the Wanganui herd. But, the, I mean, there's, there's, I don't know, half a million deer in the area? Like, there's, they're everywhere. So what we try and do is we try and shoot out the, the black-coloured animals. They tend to carry uh, smaller heads. And also famous for the Wanganui areas is, is the cleft. They've all got a big cleft in one of their palms. So these undesirable animals, we shoot them out so that uh, the, the trophy stags, the good breeding stags, get a chance to go over the hinds. Uh, we also take out a lot of uh, hinds that are also you know, carrying the poor genetics as well. And people sort of have a bit of a problem with you know, the game ranch idea and all of that kind of thing. And I think it's something as New Zealanders we need to approach and change our attitude to. Because uh, you know, 
we're not releasing feral animals or anything like that. There's already fallow deer everywhere here, but we're releasing really, really good quality strains that are going to just grow beautiful big heads. And all of these just jump the fence and just run straight out into dock land, onto other farms, and improve the herd as a whole. So for us, the, the whole management concept really just revolves around taking out the pup and letting the good stuff get a chance to get up and breed. So it's about not shooting spikers, it's about recognising future potential in an animal early on and letting it grow. You know, if we're not sure, we'll give it another year. And as soon as we, we can see you know, undesirable traits in an animal, take them out. Um, they taste great, so I mean, you know, it's not like anything goes to waste. So a big part of what we do here is, is management hunting and uh, you know, it's it just kiwi meat hunts, you know. So, the problem with, with like dock land and stuff like that is, you know, people shoot the first thing they see. And it's that whole thing, you know, you haven't got out for six months, you want to put some meat in the freezer and you shoot a beautiful young spiker with, you know, 12 inch spikes on it and he was potentially going to grow into a beast. Uh, shoot an old hind, you know, shoot, shoot a spiker that's still got spikes in his second year or little nub and antlers, you know, like, or shoot those kind of things. Shoot the old culls, you know. If you want to shoot a young animal, I say shoot a young hind. There's heaps of hinds around, you know. Take one of them out, let the stags get up, you know, let people have a crack at a stag. So. And Peter, you and I had this discussion last night as well, is how do you do that? How is it that we're going to change the mentality of people? If we want to manage the, the herd or, or, or the animals in any species, whether it's a red deer, seeker, a uh, fellow rooster, whatever, it, it's a hard thing because you're on public land, people's attitude is they've got to shoot it because if they don't, the next guy's going to. It's, 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 it's dead anyway. How do you change that mentality? Well, in short, I don't think you can. But there are more and more ethical, educated hunters out there that listen to shows like this, that have meat in the freezer, that don't need to kill everything they see. And, you know, when, they, when they're conscious of stuff like this, they're like, oh, geez, you know, that has got big spikes. I wonder what that'll look like next year. You know, maybe they will leave it. You know, the, the more people that can can consciously leave animals that they think may be a trophy in the future, the better off we are. And the more people that do that, the more people that'll tell, you know, so on and so forth. But there's quite a bit, uh, I think Cam Speedy does, has done a few good, good articles in, in NZ Hunter and a few other things like that. You know, the more people talk about it, the more it's, it's in press, the better off we are. I don't think Doc is ever going to do anything about it. Uh, if we had a tag system or something in New Zealand, that, that might be a step forwards, but it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, so. Yeah, and, and you hear, you've uttered those words, you know, the tag system or potentially uh, balloted hunting. And, and oh, this, I'm, I'm on the fence still, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming around. And the only reason I'm on the fence is I do think that New Zealanders have this thing that's sacred to them that's been able to go out and have that, that right to get meat. I, I would personally rather it was an education thing. But then I, I still, I, I'm in a real dichotomy. How do you manage that? How do you get people to... First of all, be educated and not have that shoot everything they see mentality, but then worry that someone else has that mentality. I just, I, I can't get my head around that. Well, I, I think that uh, the ballot system is, is great. The Wapiti Foundation are doing a fantastic job. I was lucky enough to get a block two years ago, and uh, we saw a lot of deer. Uh, we saw more rain and more snow than anything, uh, and I shot a chamois. So, but, you know, I left a lot of young animals. I got some great photos of them. Um, but my partner and I both got a, got a chamois down there. And, uh, yeah, the last morning we saw, th I think it was about four, you know, potential trophy animals, all of them about a year off. And, uh, yeah, we, we left them. But take, let's, say, let's say, look at the seeker herd. Okay, and that's the perfect herd to do a ballot on because it's over a huge area 
and a lot of that stuff's hard to get into. You know, a lot of people fly in or you know, catch a plane and that kind of thing. So you say all the blocks that can be walked into within a day, they're open blocks. You know, anyone can have a crack there. You know, it's it's a good place to hunt for most people. Blocks in the middle, a bit harder to get to. Okay, we put a ballot on them. Someone comes over, flies over, does it, you know, checks the numbers, that kind of thing, and a certain number of tags are issued for the year. You go into ballot, there's 20 stag tags, there's 100 hind tags. You know, that, that way people get a crack at a good animal. They do the management, you know, for doc, um, pay 50 bucks a year to, to go in the ballot. It's not a lot of money, you know, and you, you've got to fly in there anyway. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're taking hunting away from the weekend hunters. So given the size of New Zealand, there's an opportunity to, to, to manage, you know, tar, chamois, red deer, all of that in, in areas like that that are a bit, bit more sort of inaccessible. And I suppose one thing we don't really take into account is how big the hunting industry is in New Zealand. And I think it's something that a lot of people that aren't involved with, with our sport and with our craft find really hard to conceive that actually there's the tourist industry people coming in to hunt these aren't these aren't cheap bottom end tourists you know these guys are coming and spending serious money in our country and they're taking that away and more are coming in after that we've got the likes of Poranui we have the likes of the big the hunting and fishing stores through the country are growing exponentially there's more hunting and fishing stores than there are briscoes you know i mean hunting and fishing is it's it's a big chain store i mean it, there's there's more more hunting and fishing stores than Wendy's uh, more than Kmart, you know, it's 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 a big a big deal, and I think that that shows how passionate New Zealanders are about getting outdoors, and the hunters are very passionate about that about getting um, outdoors with the right gear and making sure people don't get into trouble. Look out the window. Yeah. I mean, look, just oh, it's, it's a radio show, so it's, it's not really working quite as well for people <laughs> that are listening. But I mean, I'm just looking out over uh, just sun-drenched paddocks and some pines, and you can see. Three deer from where I stand now. Um, actually, five if you include those two. Um, it's it's just it's just beautiful. I mean, how can you not want to spend time doing this? And people that live in cities, I just you know, it's, you need to for work and stuff. But I just I couldn't do it. You know, if I couldn't come out here and do this on the weekends, I'd, I'd lose my mind. I absolutely agree with you. In fact, sometimes just getting out uh, for me personally just recenters me as well. You know, just uh, calms everything down and gives me an opportunity to to hone in those senses again. What about eh? the anticipation though? You know, I mean everyone like you, you know, your first trip of the raw, three weeks, three weeks early, you've got the gear out on the lounge room floor, the missus is getting pissed off with you, you're packing, you're repacking, oh this is a bit heavy, you've sawn your toothbrush in half, you know, all of that kind of crap. Everyone does it, you know. All, a lot of hunters get really excited about it. And I mean I don't know how many times you just go into a hunting and fishing shop for a chat. Yeah. You know, everyone knows the regular customers there. Yeah. And Mark, you'll be able to verify, this is Mark Lynch, we've been pretty wound up about coming out here for a, oh, a few days now, eh? it's been doing that exact same thing, deciding what we're going to bring, how we're going to do it, um, being quite distracted from work. <laughs> you know, don't tell the boss, but it's been pretty hard to concentrate when we know we're going to come into such a place like we are today. I accidentally over breakfast this morning, I think we saw two, which is, I mean, we're not looking very far away, to be fair, but you know, it's, it's going to be a great day. Now, I just want to touch on something. I think we've just got to be very clear here. What we're doing here isn't canned hunting, and because that's a completely different thing. And I've got my own views on canned hunting. So I just want to clarify that. So what do you think? This is definitely not canned hunting, is it, Peter? It, this, is, this is a farm. This is a New Zealand farm. It is a working farm. It's an Angus stud farm with sheep and beef all over it. 
you're walking amongst sheep paddocks. There's, it's, it's hilly country. It's very suited to, to deer. Uh, and in, it's in no way camped. Like, these are wild deer. If you walk towards them, they'll run away. If you spook them, they will run away. If you miss, they're going to jump the fences or go under the fences, mainly under the fences. They like digging holes. Um, and they've, they've got little holes sort of dug all along the back fence line, and they'll just go straight back in the pines, and that'll be the end of that. So it's, it's not canned. Now, one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about today, or one of the things I'm really excited that we're going to do today, is some long-range shooting. And it's always been something to me that I've always felt like there's a there's almost it's a secret club, you know. That I don't know how to do it. I've never really attempted it. But Peter, you've sort of explained to me, or particularly last night, that it's it's not hard. It's just about getting your maths right. And for the listeners out there, three or four points. What can they what can they do to make sure when they when they're going down the path of long-range shooting? And we're talking. What would you consider long range? Post 500? Uh, yeah, 400 metres is a long shot for most people. I think anything past uh, anything past 500 metres you could call a long shot. Uh, so 500 to 1,000 metres is very doable. Uh, past that does get a little bit more complicated. Um, I'm not one of those guys that makes outrageous claims. Uh, the, the, the furthest I'll, I'll comfortably shoot to is 1,000 metres. I can hit things out at 1200 with the 300 win mag, which is what I use, but it's it's getting a bit hit or miss for me there. Um, but you know, there's guys that can shoot, you know, 1600 meters to 2000 meters with 338s and so on and so forth. Uh, I choose not to use a 338 because it's so bloody expensive. Um, I use a 300 win mag with hand loads. Um, it's actually a cheap off-the-shelf rifle. It's just a Thompson Dimension. Uh, I chose that because it's got the uh, the R5 rifling. So the the rifling the lands are opposite each other. It's got a, a little shoulder on the on the on the lands. It's it's a very accurate barrel. It's just a light barrel. It's just bought from hunting and fishing Wanganui, straight off the shelf rifle. But the problem with long range shooting is cost. It's expensive. It's expensive because the ammunition's expensive, because you need quality optics. You can't just chuck a three by nine Leopold on and expect to shoot a thousand meters. You need quality optics. Um, with a reliable dial-up turret, and yeah, just you've got a smartphone and a rangefinder, and you're away laughing. It's um, yeah, it's 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 easy enough to get into, and if you're interested in doing it, I'd just say get on the internet. Uh, Precision Shooter is a cool little Facebook page. Check those guys out; they're they're actually really good. Uh, they post a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, you don't need to be in a club. You don't need to know any secrets. Just if you apply the basic marksmanship principles, if you can shoot one inch at 100 metres, in theory, you can shoot 10 inches at 1,000. So six inches at 600 metres, I mean, it's it's not a not a, a bad size group. It's on the side of a deer, you know, I mean, 150 mils. It's, yeah, it's, it's you know, sort of the size of a you know, dinner plate. If, if you can if you can shoot all your rounds at 600 metres within a dinner plate size group, you, you're doing pretty well. And a 308, a 7mm rem mag or a 300 win mag, they're all cheap cartridges to shoot not compared to 50s and 338s. And with uh, sort of $1,500 to $2,000 worth of optics, you, you're a, you've got a very capable setup. So, And that's probably where most people probably stutter. You know, they spend the money on the gun or, or they spend the money on the firearm and then kind of button it back a little bit on the optics. It's the wrong way around, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, the, the money goes in the optics. Uh, look, I mean, the Tika T3s, have you ever seen one shoot over an inch out of the box? Ever? No. It's one MOA. That's, that's great. You work up some hand loads, it's going to be shooting half MOA. 
there's no reason why you can't do it with the Tika T3 you've already got. Uh, I mean, my, my partner's 270 and her 223, uh, they just go through the same hole, pretty much. You know, I mean, we're using 55 grain Belmont soft uh, soft points. You know, the hunting and fishing loads, they're 50 bucks a box or 49 bucks a box. I, I can show you a group on my phone, but it shoots. Well, how big is the group, Mark? Uh, there isn't a group, same hole. Yeah, I mean, I'll literally show you a photo. It's in favourites, take one second. Um, but, uh, you know, any, any rifle can do it, but without the optics, you, you're wasting your time. So that's, that's a group shot with 50 buck ammo, so dollar a shot, 223 uh, ammo. I mean, that thing shoots to 600 metres. We shot wallabies at 600 metres, but it's got a Carl Zeiss scope on it. It's got a Carl Zeiss scope I spent two grand on. So, you know, you, if, you, if you've got the quality optics, you've got the reliability in the, in, the, in the turrets, when you dial them up and dial them back, there's no change in point of aim. Um, there's a lot of good, good cheap, cheaper options too. Uh, I mean, probably the Vortex would be the ones I'd, I'd really plug. I don't know, are you hunting and fishing selling them yet? Yeah, actually, and if you go back through the archives of the show, there's actually an interview with the International Marketing Director for Vortex Optics and what their story is and what they're doing. And you're right, they're good entry-level, inexpensive optics comparatively, aren't they? Well, I'm a bit of a snob. Um, I, I shoot German optics. Um, I, I use German optics. I've always used German optics because... They're German optics. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I, I drive a, 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 a Japanese car. I've got a Nissan GTR Skyline. It's a hell of a car. It's cheaper than a BMW, and for the most part, it'll kick a BMW's ass. But you, you spend 50000 on a GTR, you spend 200000 on a BMW. Now, the Vortex are the, the GTR or the scope world in comparison to the Zeiss and the Schmidt and Bender and that being the, the BMW. You're paying a bit more for it, well, you're paying a lot more for only a tiny percentage more clarity. And if, if you're just getting into it, um, I, what are they called? ST or something, the, the, the Vortex, I've got a, what are they called? PST. Vortex PST. Great scope. What are they, about 1500 Yeah, 1500 bucks. 1500 bucks at hunting and fishing. Uh, you get some good rings. Make sure you've got good bases. Uh, chuck them on, like everyone goes for the Remingtons. The Remingtons are a great rifle. They're not my favourite. Uh, I think the Howler or the Weatherby, from, from a gunsmithing point of view, uh, are, are, are a better rifle. Uh, I use the Thompson. It's as ugly as sin. I think the Howlers are a bit ugly as well. I don't like the Hogue stocks. But all of these rifles that I'm talking about are under $1,500. $1,500 rifle, good mounts, Vortex scope on it, bipod, have it in a good calibre, like a 300 win, 7mm, and you, you've got a very, very good package that will shoot you right out to 750 and beyond comfortably. Uh, but if you can't shoot, there's no point. Uh, I've seen guys with $15,000 rifles that are like, oh, it's not shooting, you know, 1.8 MOA, what's going on? It's like, well, grab a brick of 22 ammo, go down the range, and practice the four fundamentals of shooting in a straight line. And I want you to mention those. So these four fundamentals, I want, I, we'll, we'll mention them now before we talk about what we're going to do for the rest of today, uh, which is going to be effectively next week's show. Uh, so this is going to be a series of three shows. We're going to talk about what's coming up next week. But those four fundamental principles are what, Peter? Okay, well, I'm going to make it five, uh, just to be a pain. Um, well, actually, I'm going to make it six. I'm going to make it six to be a pain. We'll start, we'll start right, at the, uh, right at the beginning. Prepare for what you're going to go and do. Use good ammo. You know, if you've got good ammo, it makes a world of difference. I hate Privy Partisan. It is a catch and release round. Don't, get, don't use that crap. Good Fiocchi ammo, 
that stuff is fantastic. They're using quality projectiles. It's good brass, good powder. It's consistent. Use that in a good rifle with good optics. If you have faith in your rifle and your ammunition, you're going to shoot a lot better. You know, if you're always wondering where your rifle's shooting, you don't shoot well. So have a good bit of kit that you can trust and is reliable. If you got that, you're well on your way already. People say this little saying, aim small, miss small. Now, most people just say it and think it's cool because they've seen it on some movie at some point. What they actually mean is if you're aiming at a deer, if you're shooting at, say, its head, don't aim for its head, aim for its eye. Pick a spot, pick a small target. You know, if you're aiming to hit the deer in the chest, you might miss it by a foot. If you're aiming for a little white spot on the side of the deer, you might miss by two inches, you still get the deer. So when you're aiming, think about what you're aiming at and, and just really focus on hitting a small spot. Visualize the target. Now I shoot at the same target every single time and I have for nearly 20 years. I shoot at an imaginary red ball about the size of a ping pong ball. And I superimpose that on the target and that's what I'm aiming to hit. No matter where I'm, what I'm shooting at, I'm always shooting at the same thing. And that's, that's something that, that helps for me. So prepare your gear, mentally prepare, and that's going to help a lot. So there's the two bonus things. But the four fundamentals really you want to you want to think about when you're shooting is firstly this is the most important. If you do nothing else, do this. Naturally align towards the target. I can't stress enough how important it is you naturally align towards the target. Now, what I mean by that is if you put the rifle down and rest it on some sandbags and it's aimed dead center on what you want to hit, and then you move in behind that rifle without disturbing the rifle, you're probably going to be nicely naturally aligned. If you are on an awkward angle and you're twisting the rifle back to have it on the point you want to hit, you're not naturally aligned. It's, 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 you're forcing the rifle into position. You shouldn't have to support the rifle. It should just be naturally lying there, aiming at the target. You look at a good shotgun shooter and how naturally they sweep through the shot that's what you want to aim for with all your shooting. Natural aim towards the target and your round's going to go straight. It, it helps immensely. Uh, we sat down with um, some of the best combat shooters in the world. We all had a discussion on shooting. The one point we brought up again and again and again, natural alignment. The next thing is support the rifle though. You need to adequately support the rifle. Uh, whether it's with a bipod or a good firm grip or leaning against a tree, you need to be able to hold the rifle on target. I mean, it's pretty common sense. Then you need to release the shot with the minimum amount of disturbance possible. So a couple of deep breaths, release the shot at the bottom of your third breath before you sort of force the exhale. It's the, the most uh, relaxed spot in the breathing cycle. And uh, a, a good trigger squeeze, not a trigger pull. Just the center of the, the, the last, oh, what do you call the, the breaks in your finger? The, the, the last little digit bit? Yeah. yeah. The, just the squishy bit on your trigger finger. You want to be right in the middle of that and just Gradually increase pressure with a nice, gentle squeeze. Don't jerk the trigger. Don't snatch the trigger. A good shot should surprise you. And more often than not, if you hit yourself in the head with a scope, it was probably a good shot. Because you weren't thinking about recoil. You weren't bracing against it. You weren't flinching. All you were thinking about was hitting the target and just gradually squeezing the trigger. So if you do those three things, none of them are going to matter if you can't see through the scope. You must have a correct sight picture. Now you get the black creeping in on the sides there. You don't want that. You need to be able to see clearly over your iron sights or clearly through your scope. Clear sight picture. Don't release with, uh, you know, a dirty great jerk. 
have the rifle completely supported and naturally aligned towards a target. If you do those four things, if you do those four things every time, you can't shoot badly. It is literally impossible to shoot badly. Uh, I'm, I don't know what else to say. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite simple. Um, just do those things. And I'm looking forward to putting some of those into practice today. And it'll be interesting to see your feedback because one thing I mentioned to you off here was that I have probably spent more time honing in my golf swing than I have my shooting. And that's unfortunate. You know, I've done a lot of shooting and a lot of hunting, but this is something that I, I think we do, we never actually, or a lot of hunters don't spend that extra bit of time to kind of make those tiny adjustments to get it, to get it really right. Am I on the right page there? Uh, I, I learned to shoot uh, with an air rifle, um, and many a night after school I would go through 500 little air rifle pellets out my bedroom window, shooting a five-cent coin on a piece of fishing line. That's how I learned to shoot, just with iron sights, just shooting again and again and again and again. Um, that's yeah, something that they'll, they'll now you on in the, in the army, uh, repetition, repetition, repetition. And you've actually, you touched on something there, whenever I do feel like my shot's or my shooting's not as good as it could be, the last thing I do is go up to the range with a 308 or a 708 or something. I actually go up there with a 22 and just smash out you know, a few hundred rounds. And I feel like that helps, doesn't it? Yep. Oh, immensely, immensely. Well, muscle memory. Um, and, you know, I, I think I, quite honestly the women are the, the best shooters I see come through here. Firstly, they listen. Um, I, a lot of guys have what I call the dickhead mentality where uh, they, they already know. They don't, they don't want to listen. They already know. Yeah, I've been shooting guns for 15 years. I don't need to learn anything. Uh, you get a girl that's been shooting for 20 years and you tell her something she hasn't heard before and she won't challenge it. She'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a try. That's a good idea. So the, the, the female shooters we have come through, uh, they listen. They want to practice. They don't want to shoot the big gun. They want to get used to shooting with a 22. They go out and half the time they shoot better than the guys. So, yeah, look, get a 22. Um, I... Well, I mean, you can't fault a Ruger 1022. What are they? Five hundred bucks. Yeah. Five hundred bucks. Brick of ammo. Well, I haven't bought a brick in ages, but what? Bugger all. Ten bucks, yeah. yeah, ten bucks a box. You know, so hundred bucks for a brick. Go out shoot a brick, and it's good fun. Yeah, the only part that sucks about you know shooting a 22 is reloading the mag. So yeah, no, I mean that's that's a way to improve your shooting. But um, you can shoot a 22 really, really accurately and really easily and then move on to a bigger gun and find you're you just, yeah, all over the place. So I'm going to do a shameless plug for uh, Dan Hardy here. Um, I use Hardy suppressors. I've used them what, years now. And the biggest thing I see about the, the suppressors that, that's, that I get from him, they're quieter than the other ones, they're lighter than the other ones, but most importantly, they give a shooter confidence. Now, I think that the noise of a duty great 308 going off puts a lot of shooters off. The recoil's not that bad, but you're going to have your recoil damn near halved by the suppressor, the noise damn near halved by it. And let's be honest, that 300 wind mag I was shooting before, it sounds like a 22. I mean, it, it really does sound like an unsuppressed 22. If you, if you suppress your rifles, like, basically, I don't think you're in business without a suppressed rifle in New Zealand. You'd be mad not to have it. You guys both got suppressors. And I, I love Mark's rifle. That's absolute perler. He's got a Tika T3, 14-inch barrel and 308 with a, a suppressor. Uh, good scope on it. Uh, blued, stainless. It's oh, Sorry, um, wood, stainless. Um, ab absolutely fantastic little rifle. Uh, and, you know, uh, to, for the average Kiwi hunter, you're never going to need more than that. It's an absolute stunner. But you've got a 7mm08, haven't you? 
yeah, yeah, and I know you, <laughs> it's not your favourite calibre, um, but, but yeah, 7 mil 08, standard Remington, does the job. Look, 7 mil 08 is a fantastic cartridge. It's a great cartridge on paper, it's a great cartridge in the field, it shoots very flat. I have a gripe with um, the 7 mil 08 because a lot of guys go cheap on the ammo and I will not allow people to shoot at a deer with privy partisan. There's plenty of people that have had great success, but you've got to remember I'm dealing with guys that aren't the greatest hunters a lot of the time. Similar weight has wounded more deer on this property than every other cartridge put together. Um, it, it just sort of zips straight through and out the other side. Now, if you're using good ammunition, you know, like uh, Mark's saying, he's a big fan of the fusion stuff. If you're using fusion ammo, that may not be the case. But um, every time I see a 7 mil 8 you know, I just cringe because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be chasing wounded deer today. And I hate wounding anything. Just go to ethical kills or you just... Just don't. That's, that's an interesting point on the long range shooting. Um, I'm going to set a limit of 750 metres for shooting a fallow deer today because we, we will do shoulder shots with it. But any further than that, you know, given you, you're new to it, there's a chance of wounding an animal and the energy is a bit less at that range. So, yeah, for shooting red deer, um, I won't shoot a red deer unless I can put 2,000 foot pounds of energy into it. Any less than that, and you risk wounding an animal, which is. You know, a lot of long-range shooters have been given grief over, over the years by people that say, oh, it's not ethical, you wound animals. Well, you don't, you know. Most of the time you, you, you just clean bowl them. But there is the potential to wound. It, it's, it's far greater at longer range than it is up close. And, and I'd like to think that any of our listeners that, that are here, or any of these guys in the room, but mostly, most New Zealand hunters don't want that unethical shot. They don't want to take that shot that wounds the animal and it disappears, they don't find it. We, we all want that clean kill. It doesn't happen every single time, unfortunately, but I, I think we all strive for it, and that's part of the reason I want to spend some time with you today and, uh, and, and really hone in those skills, because I don't want to do that either. I don't want that unethical shot or that, 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 not, that unclean shot and that animal gets away and dies a slow, horrible death, because hunters, we're not about that. No, but look, it happens. It happens. Um, the shepherd up the up the road there, he, he said one of the, the greatest things I've ever heard when it comes to hunting. If you've never missed a deer, you've done bugger all hunting. It's that simple. You, you, you're going to miss deer. You're going to wound deer. We don't want it to happen, but when it does happen, you know, you make every effort to recover that wounded animal as fast as possible and end any suffering it's experiencing. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, even a wounded deer, you compare two minutes of it, you know, in, in a bit of pain versus the trip to the, the slaughterhouse for a cow, you know. Um, and 99.99% of the time an animal's cleanly taken, there's no suffering. But uh, oh, And that's a whole other show, talking about that, the, 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 the morality around, uh, you know, hunting and, and animals in the wild that have, a, have an awesome life right up to that last moment versus a cow in a paddock into a truck, into a, an electric shock. It, it, it's a whole, a whole other show, and we're not going to go there now. So, Peter, what are we going to be doing today? Can you tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll, we'll finish off this show, and, and you look forward to next week, guys. Okay. Um, well, it's, it's a big property, but we're going to head out the back. I've just got a map in front of me that I'll, I'm just pointing at at the, time, at, the, at the moment. We're just going to come through the main crossing paddock here. There's a beautiful big buck there. You saw him the other day. Um, he's, oh, he's over 200 Douglas, beautiful big buck, and he's only four. He's one of the ones we've released. He's breeding and he's spreading those good bloodlines around Whanganui, which is a good thing. Uh, we're going to come through to these three main back paddocks. Um, the back paddock here 
Uh, that one's got, oh, it's normally got 50 or 60 deer in it, uh, and they're in mobs of, you know, 20 or 30 at times. Stedman's, this one here, um, it's fed from the bush primarily. So there's a dudegrate hole here and another hole here. Now, you'll see all the deer, and they're all just going to run straight back into the bush when they see us. But there could be, it could be as many as 100 in there. But that's where all the black, uh, black coloured ones and the little Spanish ones are coming from. They come out of all the native down here. And then the back, the very far back paddock trig, uh, well, it's got a, a trig point at the top there. There's a dirty great hole here, and all the animals will sit just below that. Now, there's a really big buck there. Now, he's been wounded. He's been hit with a 223 by, well, that was quite a while ago, and he's got a bit of a limp. And that's an animal I really want to see go. So we're going to try and shoot him from back here. It should be quite a short shot, really, about 450 to 500 metres. It's, honestly, it's a 300 win mag. It's zero for 200, 450 metres. It's, it's like 16 clicks of adjustment. It's not a long shot. So that's, that's the one we're going to try and go for. So we'll get one of these young fellas to, to pick that one off. And, and Peter, look, I'm really looking forward to the day. Thank you so much for having us out here. I'm probably going to say that uh, in the next couple of shows as well. And uh, remember, guys, if you want to win that great prize, and that is a year subscription to NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine, all you've got to do is be active with our show, and those guys really are supportive of, our, of us, and we want to be supportive of them. All you need to do is be active. We've got some neat little metrics that measure how much you do with us, and that's about sharing us on Facebook. We have got our Twitter page going properly. Again, there was a bit of a, a problem with it earlier on. Um, but be active with us. Send us emails. Give us your feedback. We really do like getting it, whether it's positive, negative, or just opinionated. Please send that through and show suggestions as well. We, we love getting those. and I've had a few lately, and those really have gone into play, and a couple of those will be coming up very, very soon. But this is, like I said, the first of a, a series of three with Peter, and, and I'm really looking forward to today. Be careful out there, guys, when you're hunting. Um, we don't want to hear about any more accidents. I know the roar's over, and it wasn't a particularly great year for that. I don't want to hear any more. Be careful, and good hunting. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.